friends, I think if we honest with ourselves, the world's in a mess. I think South Africa's in a mess. And I've never been more excited in my life. Because there is only one answer. His name is Jesus Christ. We don't only know the answer, but we are God's answer to this dark and dying world. Every spirit-filled believer is God's answer to this world. But if that's the answer, then if this nation is 70% Christian, the results aren't so good. And I ask myself why, and it is so clear, as Amor shared this morning, I thought he had looked at my notes before I looked at his so I just want to share briefly before I go on to share with you what God has done in our lives that brings us to a place where we are right now. But he calls each one of us, and that's why you sit here today, and he says he knows the amount of hairs on your head, and he knows your name. He either does or he's a liar. If he's a liar, then just carry on with your life. But if you believe him, I want to tell you that he is who he is. Far greater and far more than you could ever imagine or dream about. And I ask, I, I want you to be honest with yourselves this morning. As I said, how many of you you know you've been called by God. Do you know what your calling is? And I think the biggest hindrance, I, I, I used to say, when, when, I, when I preach, I say, the church is God's plan. He only has one plan, and that is the local church. But the only problem with that plan is that you and I are the church. So he's going to wait. He's not going to change his plan. He's going to wait for you and I to hear his heartbeat for the lost, the widow, the orphan, and the destitute. And as I was preparing for this weekend, I came across a little book, The Holy Spirit. It's a book by Watchman Nee. And for the first time I realized that 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 I've said, must have said 50 times in 50 different churches around, that this is the plan, his plan, but the problem is you and me, and he'll wait for us to hear his heartbeat. It is so profound, I didn't know how profound it is. Because if we have given our lives to Jesus, that spirit inside of us is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Why then is the church, does a church look like it looks right now. And please, I don't want to sound as though this is criticism. I want to encourage you. Because there's so much more. And he puts it in such a beautiful way. He says, the spirit is the inner man. Our soul and our mind is the outer man. And our body is the most outer man. And as I read this little book, he said, the problem with the spirit of God 
is it's in an alabaster jar in our bodies. Because we are so ingrained in the world's value systems. We brought up in the world from this high to be the best we can at anything we do, be it sport or academics or business. Just get to the top. It doesn't matter about anybody else, but get yourself to the top. That's the value system, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to break down that because God's value system is diametrically opposed to the world's value system. I fell to the things of the world, but in the world's eyes, I was a huge success at some time in my life. And I'm going to share that testimony tomorrow. I thought best I share it tomorrow and not today, because if I shared it today, I don't think you'd be here tomorrow. <laughs> I had such a dark side in my life, but I was, in the world's eyes, I had been successful. And the problem is God has to excuse my language, smash down our minds and, 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 our, and our souls and get rid of the value system that the world, that every single of us carry, and that's the biggest hindrance to the church today. And once he smashes the alabaster jar, that spirit, that beautiful perfume can flow in and through the body into everybody we come into touch with. But until we can get rid of the world's value systems, we are not going to let that spirit out, that beautiful perfume that's going to touch the lives of others and change the others' lives. And my prayer today, if that's why you're here, that you would really take that to God because that's the biggest hindrance in the church. When, when Jesus came to live on this earth, there was no hindrance to the church. In, the, in his fullness, he gave everything. But then at Pentecost, that same mandate that Jesus had was given to the church. And so since that day, over 2,000 years ago, there's been a blockage in the church because we've been so influenced by the world's value systems. We need to smash it down and allow the Spirit of God to work in and through us. And it's painful, folks. And we weren't... We, it took... Yes, and we're still not there. It's a daily overcoming. I say to people, it is so painful you have to amputate yourself from the world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. I was saying to him all last night, we're in this economy, but we're not of this economy. There's no better place to live in the whole world than South Africa right now. It is so dark, but the light is going to shine so bright as this nation gets darker and darker. And so this nation is in your hands and my hands. And I just want to encourage you. How do you get to know God's plan for your life? I was reading about the lilies in the field today. And God planted them, and they grew into these beautiful things with beauty and flowers, and they grew into their fullness. But they were where God planted them. We thought God was planting us in George 20 years ago. So that we could spend six months in George during the summer in, in Durban because it gets a bit warm. And then we go home in the winter because it's pleasant in Durban. But it wasn't God's plan for our lives. And he quickly removed us from George and planted us back into the townships, into the communities where he wanted us. 
And it's only where he plants you are you going to flourish and walk into the fullness of what he has for your life. How are we going to get to know that plan for our lives? Again, I want you to be honest with yourselves. Do you know the plan that he has for your lives? And secondly, the only way you're going to get to know the plan is to spend time with Jesus in the secret place. How much time do you really spend with Jesus? If Joan phoned me on a Moore's phone today and she said, hello, I would know as she starts to talk that it's my wife. Because I spent 24-7 with her every single day for the last 33 years. God brought us together for his purposes. The only way you're going to come to know the voice of Jesus is to spend time with him. Not 10 minutes a day. Is he worth getting up at 4 in the morning to spend an hour, hour and a half for him? We can get up at 4 in the morning to go for a run. We can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to Neisner to play at Sparrowbush. We can do all these things because our, our, our value system is so ingrained in the world's value systems. But we can't get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to spend time with Jesus and to get to know his voice. And it took us a long time. I'll be very honest with you. It wasn't easy. And I came to know Jesus. Journey, God brought us together for his purposes. And I, I, I'll share that tomorrow. But I ran away from Durban because I had caused such havoc there. I owed millions of rand. I was a drunkard and an alcoholic and addicted to gambling. I ran away from mine. And I experienced those demons that came back sevenfold. We'll share that tomorrow. But I came to know Jesus before I opened the Bible or went to church. And I'm so grateful for that. Not to say the church doesn't teach you about the real Jesus. But I came to know Jesus who loved me as I was. As a drunkard and an alcoholic and a gambler and a womanizer. He loved me as I was. And as I started to repent, he set me free from gambling. He set me free from alcoholism. He set me free from all those things. And then, Joni and I got married. I started going to church. We'd go to church on Sundays. And more than those, cell groups on Tuesdays. Do you guys go to cell groups? And we ran alpha courses. We led the church groups. <laughs> I'll never forget going to one of Angus Buchan's early conferences. I mean, when, when it was still this size and people were interacting, and some Old gentleman, be careful who I say is old. Because, but I want to encourage you, because not in the Bible, but I read that the most productive years of your life are between 50 and 60. So maybe for those that are young and that, be patient because your time is coming. But the second most productive years of your life are between 70 and 80. Hey! Watch the space. <laughs> so I'm going to come back in 10 years' time and find out what God has done here through this church and we'll share what God is doing in and through our lives. 
But we were going to church, we were doing our bit for Jesus, and, and Angus says to this elderly gentleman, he said, what are you, where are you from? I'm from so-and-so. I go to the Anglican church, I do my bit for Jesus. He said, you do your bit for Jesus? He says, do you know that he was stoned and mocked and nailed to a cross that you would walk into the fullness for his life? It's time you gave it a think, my friend. Doing your bit for Jesus, it's time for you to lie, lay down your life to serve the King. I felt so sorry for this old man, but Angus did it in a beautiful way that he didn't feel. But it's, it's true. We go to church on Sundays, and I'll be very honest with you. The things in the world were very exciting, even though they weren't good. And I got married, and I was going to church on Saturday, and I was going to work, leading the cell group, and it was so boring. Are you not bored in church? Or do you, go, you must go to a very special church for the top leader. But I found it such a boring lifestyle. And then one day, I had a head-on collision with Jesus. And I was coming back from a mission trip. And I prayed in tongues for two and a half hours. And I screamed at the Lord. And I said, Lord, surely but surely there's much more to life than this. And then he started to speak to me. And he started to show me. For six hours I listened. He said, build a village for orphan and vulnerable children that they will come to know they have a, heaven, a father in heaven who loves them. Create jobs for rural communities that they can sustain their families. And the government will come and see why it works and we can point them to the cross. But it was the most ludicrous Thing I, I never gave the poor a thought in my life. I'd never been to a township in my life. I was a bad father to my own parents through my alcoholism and my gambling addictions. And now he tells me to. But it was so clear. I got home and I told Joni we need to build this village. I drew it for her. It was so clear. People say, how do you know when God speaks to you? And my answer is what I've said to you now. How much time do you spend with him? I listened for six hours and he spoke to me because I was in his presence. Isaiah was in God's presence. Who shall we send? Who will go for me? I will go. Send me. If you spend time with, in his presence, you'll hear the voice of God and get to know the voice of God. And I think what we've learned is obedience. So once you hear, it's no use to sit on what God has told you to do. As Johnny said, get out of the church, get out of the comfort of your homes and your air-conditioned offices and go and do what God has called you to do. Partial obedience is disobedience. Go back to Abraham. He said, take your family and move. What is his, Abraham's biggest problem? Father of the faith, what was his biggest problem? Was Lot. He didn't tell Lot to take Lot with him. He decided to take Lot with him. So obedience and absolute obedience is what God wants from us. So when we came back, we then, I said, Joni, we need to build this. And I tried to do it in my own strength. I thought, well, let's build a building company, start a building company. 
we'll buy some properties, we'll build the houses, we'll sell the houses, we'll give me money to do the village. Sounds good. Wasn't it a good plan? That's what we do. But I started to realize that common sense and the Holy Spirit don't fit in the same box. So logically, it made a lot of sense. But it wasn't God's plan. I've been down so many roads after giving my life to Jesus. But I say, you told me to do this, Lord. Where are you? He said, I'm here. I never told you to go down that road. I told you to do it, but we go down this road. So our journey began. And Joni took us. She heard the people were starving, the children, and we moved into Amaoti. She moved first, not me. <laughs> and then one day I went to see her there, see what she was doing. And she gave me this little baby. I was in my suit. I was a shirt salesman, tie and jacket and suit. And I took this baby, and the next thing, there was snot all over my suit. I said, take this baby. I said, I'll make the money. You feed the children. And then one day I went back with her Saturday morning, and I saw, witnessed a young girl, 40 drunken men in a shabin, try to rape this young girl. I was in the bowels of this community, and God broke my heart for the things that break his. I saw these starving children. I see these beautiful children here. Those kids don't have a meal from day to day to day to day. And so I started to join, join Joni. Can you just show those pictures of Amaati just to show? We started, she fed 30 children under a tree. And then in 2007, sorry, I want to go bit by bit. Some of it's not going to make sense to you. Well, because I believe obedience leads to revelation. God will ask you to go to the first space and he won't ask you to go to the next space until you've been to the first space. And I had this beautiful picture he gave me. I think many of you have got children and you've got those drawing books where you say, follow the dots. So you go to number one and number two and number three. It's, it's a maze of numbers on a page. And as you follow the dots... And then you color it in, you end up with this beautiful picture. And God shows me, that's what I want from you. I only want obedience. It's far better than sacrifice. Just go to the first dot and wait for me to give, show you the second dot. He'll only show you the second dot once you've been to the first dot. And so we went into Amaati. And then in 2004, he said to me, um, he wants me to have a... Breakfast, or he wants me to have an event in the marketplace where the name of Jesus is lifted up and glorified. Crazy. I didn't know what to do. I booked the ICC, our International Convention Center, and I wanted to invite 2,000 people, and Peter Pollock spoke out, we've lost our first love. We had worship there, and that's when I began to know how difficult church leaders really are. And I went around to these churches, and I asked them to join me. They said, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? This, that, everything. And, and I said, no, but God has told me to do it. So um, I'm not sure what pictures up. No, that's the banquet that will come later. But to cut a long story short, we had, I was driving back after seeing one of our big churches and asked them to come to the... He said, I knew the leader. He said, Titch, I'll take three. I thought he'd take 50 tables. He took three tables. And I was driving home and I wept before the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is not of you, please stop this now. You know, he's such an amazing father. He said to me, if three people come to the breakfast, I will be glorified. But we ended up getting 80 churches with us. 
And we had an unbelievable morning as the Spirit of God moved in that city that morning. 2,000 people at the breakfast. Then we work in the communities. In 2007, I'm praying over the community. And I feel God say, shacks will come down, houses will go up, and thousands will come to know me. And then you try and make every excuse. Lord, I don't speak Zulu. I don't do this. I don't do that. He said, pitch a tent and preach the gospel. So on the buffer zone, a piece of government land which you've never had permission, the, le- the lawyer in the city said to me, Titch, sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. <laughs> so I got bulldozers and we prepared the site, two rugby fields, and we pitched a 5,000-seater tent. And we preached the gospel every night for 28 nights. We got all the gospel singers from around the country, and Dwayne Christ ambassadors, we got Klingibi Klaba, Benjamin Duby, Cabello, I got preachers, Dick Koza, Rory Dyer, uh, Lydia Meshu, Angus Bucken, and, and it was the best month of my life. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus. But to do the crusade was easy after the breakfast. Go to the first dot, do the breakfast. The second dot, do the crusade. Now those 80 churches that saw the Spirit of God moving, they jumped into the crusade. We had 100 churches involved with us in the crusade. Angus came down and he said, Titch, on one condition that you read this book called Passing the Baton. It's a story about when he gave the palms to his sons. And, and he, he said, read this. And he went into the ministry full, full time. As I read this book, my son was in the business with, with us. And I felt God say, join Joan full time in the communities. So I left the business and went into the communities. And I want to tell you that the business is 100 times better without me. I've still got 60%. We had 60% of the business. And it grew. And that business has funded a lot of the work that we've done in the communities and on the village. And we worked in the village. And we started back-to-school programs, 600 children. We planted a church. We had creches there feeding 2,500 children a day. We still feed 2,500 children every day in that community. And, and then in 2009, 12 years after I got the vision, God said, the time for the vision is now. So he said, buy a farm. So we looked for six months and we bought a farm. Can you show a picture of the, there? That's the farm. We've got 170 hectares there. And the farm runs into Hazelmere Dam. But now we had no money. So I've got this farm now. I said, Lord, but you told me to buy the farm. He said to me, I'll bring the money and the expertise. So we go and pray every Sunday on the farm. We go pray during the week. And it was just a broken down chicken farm. And the grass was this high and the mambas were this high. You've never seen such big snakes in your life. (laughs) So we're praying and I say to the Lord, he says to me, Go back to the ICC, International Convention Center. Invite 4,000 people, business, government, and church. Share the vision, and you'll raise the money in a night. Crazy. The banquet cost 1.9 million. We had no money. And that's where Joni has been unbelievable. I said, my baby, God is calling us to have this banquet Nova event coordinator would take it over. They said, you midweek, how can you, 
you'll never get 4,000 people to come to a banquet midweek to hear about widows and orphans. But when he says, so I said to her, we need, we'll need to take a bond on the house. So we bonded our home to pay for the banquet. She's been incredible support and encouragement right through the beginning. We like that. And we had the banquet. I couldn't get hold of government. I was 60 at the time, 2010. And the lady who was chair lady of the ICC, she said, Titch, here's Dr. William Keyes' number. She said, don't tell him I gave it to you. It's his private number. And I phoned him. Now, he's telling Joan the, number, uh, the, the story. I love Dr. William Keyes. I'm sorry if anybody doesn't. He's got such a passion for widows and orphans. I don't know what's happened with the ANC and all that stuff. But he's a, for us, he was an amazing blessing. He phoned me and he said, he said, telling Joan, this white man phoned me on a Friday night. He said his name was Titch. He said, it's the funniest name I've ever heard in my life. Because in the Zulu culture, names have a meaning. I'm trying to work out what this name can mean. And he said... He was rambling on about widows and orphans. I thought, best let me get rid of this man. He said, come and see me Monday. So from Friday to Monday, I go and see, I have a meeting with him. And that's why I say obedience is what God wants. He told us to buy the farm with our own money. So I put this architect's impression on his table, on the boardroom table. And I say to him, Doc, I've just bought this farm. I want to build a village for orphan and vulnerable children. He said, did you say you bought the money with your money? I said, yes. He said, this is going to happen with or without me, so best I'm part of this. Only because we were obedient to what God said. He came to the banquet on, on a month's time. Rory Dyer spoke about the Father heart of God. John Smith and, and, and uh, Sean Pollock were master of ceremonies. Um, the Premier spoke and I shared the vision. And we raised 8 million rand. And we built, we built the first five homes. And then because when I first, first spoke to architects and town planners and quantity surveyors, they said, this is amazing. They said, where's the money? I said, God's got the money. I said, sorry? <laughs> God's got the money. I never saw them again. But now I've made eight million. Now we got eight million. Now they start to just come back a little bit, you know? And they started to and they said, listen, this is going to cost 70 or 80 million. I said to them, I'm building a children's village. I'm not building a city. So they said, well, that's it. So I phoned Dr. William Keys. I said, Doc, I need some money. This was before the government stole all the money. I said to them, <laughs> I said, Doc, I need to build sewers. Can you give me some money? He said, Titch, I can't give you any money. He said, but what I'll do is I'll invite you to cabinet. You come and share the vision with the ministers and the deputy ministers. And they've got budgets, and if they think it's a good idea, then um, they can give you money. I go to cabinet. It was quite a daunting task. I go and share the vision, and I leave. The next week, I get a memo from cabinet to say all government departments support the vision. They gave us 102 million rand. That's the God that I know. He says he'll bring the money and the expertise. 
You know what's just arrived, and most of them from Shofar? This last year, three engineers have arrived, two accountants with their families and their wives and families, and they said God has told them to lay down their lives to serve the king. There's one young engineer who's now taking the, the village off the grid. They said there was no water. We tried before. He finds water seven times as much as we need. So we've come off the grid. We're coming off the grid as far as water is concerned. He's done solar now. We're building a solar farm, 14 megawatts, to sell into the grid. I will bring the expertise and the money. And so there, there are... He's so much more than we can imagine if we would just be obedient and join the dots. What is he calling you to do? And so the business, I could never understand how looking after orphan and vulnerable children and job creation worked hand in hand. Now I've realized we've got 53 children that have left school now, grade 12. We've got 20 audit universities. We've got some kids on cruise ships around the world, musicians. It's been the most incredible thing, but we need to put them into jobs. So we've started businesses. We've got amazing businesses, and now the children are coming back to work in the family business because it's home for life for these children. It's not, they don't have to leave when they're 18. So now they come back from university. They come and stay in the village. They come and stay with us. Family's being created. And, and, and the, the, the stories of the children now coming back is the most precious, precious thing. But I started to realize in, nine, in 1997 when God gave us the vision, he said, look after orphan and children that they'll come to know they have a father in heaven that loves them. He didn't say raise them up to be leaders in business or sportsmen. Seek first the kingdom and all else will be added unto you. And we've seen those that know Jesus are coping so well with the outside world. Those that haven't come to know Jesus are really battling. We now employ just under 3,000 people in the businesses that we have shares in. And I believe that God is calling us to build businesses now because we have millions of children in this nation that need to be taken care of, and the church is the answer. South Africa is the biggest source of baby and child trafficking in the world. They're stealing these babies, mainly to America, into the sex trade. Babies this high. Friends, we've got to get out of our churches and become the church that Jesus Christ prayed we would be. My hope and my dream is that South Africa becomes known as the country that look after their children to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in our hands. And as I've been praying for this conference, I believe that this church has the expertise, the money, and the spirit to change this town, this city, that it will become known as a city. He gave, gave me a dream of Cottonlands, where our community is. He said, Cottonlands will once again become a place where women and children roam the streets at night without fear of getting raped and abused. Men and women will have jobs that will be able to secure their families. Peace and joy will return to the community because Jesus Christ will once again reign and rule. Friends, it's time for us 
to become his hands and feet in this dark and dying world. I just want to read this as I finish. Mother Teresa said, I don't claim any of the work. It is his work. I'm a little pencil in his hand. That is all. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil only has to be allowed to be used. I'm asking you this morning. Those of you who feel that there's much, much more for you. Those of you who are prepared to lay down the things of the world and follow Jesus. He said to me during COVID, he said, stop asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. I said, sorry? Father, what did you say? He said, stop asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. He said, if you spend enough time in my presence, you'll just follow me once again. We followed Jesus and he built that village. Can you show them a picture of that first one? And this is the village that God has built. I'm asking you this morning will you be that little pencil in the hand of almighty God as he writes a love letter to the world will you be that little pencil in his hand as he writes a love letter to the world If that's you, I'd just like you to stand so we can pray. (sighs) Father, you, you see these people standing. They've chosen to follow you, Jesus. I pray by the power of your spirit that you'll smash down that alabaster jaw and allow the spirit to move, oh God. That this church and this city, this town will never be the same again because of 200 people that have stood up and said, here I am, Lord Jesus. Use me. I pray that you'd plant them where you want them to be planted, oh God. And it's in that place where you plant them. And they look to you where they come above the line. And they see things through your eyes, Jesus. They don't see those children that are starving, those children that have been raped and abused. They see children like this walking into the fullness that you planned for them before they they were even conceived in their mother's womb. Lord, we repent of what we have made it. But we say today, here we are, Lord God. Use us to glorify your holy name. Bless these people as they get up at four in the morning now and start to spend time with you to hear the call on their lives, that you'll empower them, that you'll speak to them, and that they'll follow you, and that George will never be the same again. Take your glory in and through this church. 
because we ask this in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.